I got a joke, but it's a short one. It's a short one. What do you call a wandering nun? A roaming Catholic. <laughs> I, my wife gave me that joke, I have to admit. Uh, this week was kind of a, a busy week. Um, my son turned 16 on Tuesday. My wife turned 21 again yesterday. Um, so we had like three birthday parties this week. And it's, it's kind of, it's been, it's been a little bit hectic. It's been fun, but it's been hectic. And as I was preparing uh, the message and trying to, you know, get everything ready for birthday parties and, and everything, I like to try to keep my brain occupied. So I tried to come up with an idea of something that I could think about during the week that kind of coincided with what I was going to preach on this morning. And, and what I came up with was if I could take something that's kind of gone from maybe society or, or, or just something that was the norm that's not the norm and make it the norm again, what would I do? And I, and I had a list, man. I had, I had a list. Um, and I narrowed it down to the top three. You'd be surprised. Saturday morning cartoons did not make the top three. It got rounded out as number four, but that's beside the point. Uh, number three on my list is cursive. Cursive is, I, I mean, cursive is an art. We learned cursive. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, <laughs> It, it, it's, it's an art, like I can't read legibly my own, like I was looking at my notes that I wrote for, and I'm, what did I even write that? I couldn't even tell. But cursive, I can still read my cursive really easy. And, and they just, they, they don't know how to do cursive anymore. So I would bring back cursive. I'd make it the norm, sign your name correctly, it'd be awesome, right? So that's number three. Number two, stick shifts. <laughs> Love stick shifts. Uh, in my family, you couldn't drive a car until you learned to drive a stick shift first right? Um, plus, I think actually my mom might have put something on Facebook that said, if you want to cure texting and driving, bring back stick shifts, because you have, you know, that's, that's, that's my number two. But my number one is letter writing. I'm talking good old-fashioned pen-to-paper letter writing. Um, there's something different about letter writing. It, it's kind of, I guess you could say it's evolved over the years, right? It kind of went from letter writing to email. You can, al- you can almost say that text messaging is the new letter writing, right? And, and it's, it's not the same. It's just not the same. Even emails. Emails are great. I mean, how many of you get an email from somebody that you love and, and you see, you know, you open up Yahoo Mail or whatever, and then it's like, oh, I got, a, I got an email from Aunt Nancy. That's so nice. You know, it, it is. It's nice. But when you get a letter and, and you pick up that envelope and you see that handwriting that looks familiar, you know that somebody loves you enough or cares enough about you to send you a letter, right? It it takes time to write a letter. You don't have spell check. You don't have grammar check. What you write is what you write. So letters are important. Um, You also think a lot more, think about what you're writing in a letter versus maybe what you write in an email. Emails are usually fast, right? Don't forget blah, 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 blah. Um, You know, it's not, if you're going to send the letter, it's it's different. I say that is because when we open the Bible, we see Philippians as a book of the Bible. It's four chapters, right? super small, right in the New Testament, super important, but it's not very big. What we forget is that Philippians was originally a letter. Paul is in jail. Paul is suffering for what he's teaching. Paul gets some you know, information about what's going on in the church. And Paul says, I need to write them a letter to help them out, to teach them, to correct them, to lift them up. See, Paul cared enough about the church that he wanted to do that despite what's going on in his own life. And can you imagine if you're the church in Philippi and you're sitting there and we got a letter from Paul. I mean, how exciting would that be, right? Because he cared enough to send the letter. We're going to start this morning in Philippians chapter 4. If you would, turn with me there. 
Philippians 4, verses 1 through 3 says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, Paul had a special place in his heart for, for, the, for the church, for this specific church. And there's a specific reason he had a specific place in his heart for them. In Philippians 4.15 it says, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. When Paul needed them, the church in Philippi stepped up and they helped him. So he's like, this, you know, I love this place. I want the best for this place. I want to make sure that they get what God wants for them. I, I don't want them to have any problems. Unfortunately, there's a little bit of infighting going on in the church right now. Somehow, I, I don't know how, I'd love to find out. Paul's in jail, and he gets word of this conflict between these two women. We don't know what the conflict is. We don't know a lot about these women. What we do know is it's causing serious, serious issues in the church. Okay? Uh, we, we can probably assume, even though we don't know for sure that it's not biblical, because if it was a biblical problem, it's a pretty easy fix, right? I know what's going on. I know the facts. She's right because she follows what the Bible says. She's wrong because she doesn't. So that's not the case. Instead, there's some other problem. We, you know, it could be maybe, maybe Yodia said that, you know, Syntyche's, uh, you know, casserole was dry. I don't know. All I know is something in there caused a problem. And because of this problem, there's all sorts of problems in the church. And it's threatening to split the church in half. That's how serious this problem is. I mean, they're meeting in places. They're usually meeting in houses. And if you go to a house, you know, if you go to one of their houses and the other one doesn't show up, you don't want to make the other one mad. And it's causing serious, serious unrest in the church. The issue bled out of their relationship into the relationships in the churches, which led to fear and anxiety, which Paul knew even from his cell was detrimental to the church. The problem is, is when things like this happen in a church, it can lead to spiritual instability. And a church with spiritual instability, I mean, you're on life support. You can't have that. You have to be one body. You have to be together. You have to be like-minded. Paul said that he entreats these women and then said, yes, I ask. These are almost basically the same two words. He said it twice because he's begging. He's pleading. I need you two to figure this out. This is really kind of dumb. You care more about this petty little argument than you do about what you're doing to your friends and your family and your church family around you. You don't see apparently what's going on. You're, you're causing such division, but you're still, I mean, that casserole, don't mess with the lady's casserole apparently, you know? Paul finishes this rebuke of these two, telling them to get their stuff together, saying enough is enough already. And he says, we need to get back to what's important. And what's important? Getting people saved and getting their names in the Lamb's, books of, Lamb's Book of Life. Right? That's what we were doing. That's what the whole goal of the church is. Sharing the gospel. Who is Jesus? This is Jesus. Why do we tell you who Jesus is? So you can get your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Jesus says, I called you. Come. Paul says, you want to know how? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus will tell us. So he says, let's get back to what's important. Let's get back to the Lamb's Book of Life. Paul then continues in Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. 
Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds is talk, uh, or, or in Christ Jesus. Paul is talking to him about something very specific right now, and this is something that we all deal with. This is something that we all have a problem with. This is something that humans can't, can't avoid. Paul is talking to them about Mount Anxious. Why? There's discord, remember? The women caused discord in the church. It caused problems. Now, it's like a fissure. A, the damage has already been done. And because the damage has been done, fear has set in the church. Because fear set in the church, anxiety is in the church, worries in the church, spiritual instabilities in the church. We for, they forgot why they were there. They forgot why they were worshiping together. They forgot why they were meeting together. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He uses the word rejoice twice. The church didn't feel like rejoicing right now. They were, they were upset. They were, they, you know, every other thing was coming into their mind. Not rejoice. But he doesn't just say rejoice twice. He uses a word right in the middle of the two. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. That always is very important. He doesn't say rejoice in the Lord when you feel like it. He doesn't say rejoice in the Lord when it works for you. He doesn't say rejoice in the Lord when things are going good. He says rejoice in the Lord always. Are you struggling? Rejoice. Are you, are you afraid? Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Because they're in this bad place, Paul is telling them that they need to find joy. When you're rejoicing, your heart will rejoice. Right? And I mean true rejoicing. Like, uh, we, we think rejoicing is okay. I'm, in a, I, I'm upset. I'm not having a good day. I'll, I'll sing a song. No, no, no. I'm talking that feeling you get when your heart is lifted, you know? When life is good. Well, how can that be, you know, if things are bad? If your heart is truly in a place where you can rejoice and your heart lifts, then your heart is easy and it accepts joy because that's the joy that God gives. Joy is not an emotion, happiness is an emotion. Sadness is an emotion. Anger is an emotion. Joy is a choice. True joy can rise above any circumstance that's in your life. John MacArthur said, joy is not a feeling. It is a deep down confidence that God is in control of everything for the believer's good and his own glory and thus is well no matter what the circumstance. The psalmist says in Psalms 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is where? It's in the law of the Lord. And on that law, he meditates day and night. If you go back there, who, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. That's the world. That's where we live. We literally are surrounded by people that are the counsel of the wicked, that scoff us every day, that are doing everything they can to take our focus from here where God is over here where it shouldn't be because that's how they think they can get to us, right? Those are those fiery arrows that, 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 that Satan shoots at us. We learned all about it in VBS. Christians need to meditate on the Lord day and night. Why? Because it's good for us. I'm not saying that God isn't worthy of our meditating on him every minute of every day. He absolutely is. 
But when we meditate on God every minute of every day, our focus, our heart, our soul, everything about us is focused on the right thing. And then no matter what tries to get in our you know, viewpoint, it gets pushed out of the way because we're focused on the right thing. It benefits us to focus on God every day, every minute. Then Paul said that the church needs their, their reasonableness to be shown to everyone. Let the world see what Christ has done in you and through you. Everything. Show it off. Wear it like a badge. I'm a Christian. I'm proud. I love everything about my life because this is what God has done for me. I don't care what's going on here. I don't care what's going on here. Did you see what Jesus did for me? I'm proud of it. Woohoo! You know? Seriously, wear it like a badge. And why? He says that the Lord is at hand. We wear it like a badge because at any moment, at any time, what happens? That trumpet hits and we go home, right? Hallelujah, praise the Lord, anytime. So if we wear that badge every day of our life, every minute of every day, if we're meditating on it, we live it, and it's who we are, and people can't help but notice us and go, I see that person, they're weird, man. Thank you, proud of, I love it, that's my thing, man. Mikey says, I'm not weird, I'm unique, (laughs) right? But, but that's what I want. I want people to look at me and say that there's something different. I want people to look at me and, and see that badge. Sure, it's invisible. You can't see it. But I want people to just to say there's, there's just something there that I can't really put my hand on. How can that person be so happy? I, I, you know, He's walking around with this goofy-looking grin on his face. I don't get it. I'm walking around going, I have the joy of the Lord. That's why I have this grin on my face. Yeah, but did you see what's going on? Yeah, I see it. It's there. It's terrible. We absolutely need to focus on it, but I have the joy of the Lord, so I'm happy regardless. Yeah, but but, but what about all this, you know, I mean, what about what's going on in your family? Yep, it's there, and it's hard, and we have to deal with it every day, and I don't know how, but I have the joy of the Lord, so I'm going to smile anyway. With humanity and fear, or with humanity, fear and anxiety and worry are a real thing. It's just, it it is. I mean, have have any of you gone a, a length of time without fear and anxiety, especially right now? It's hard. And how can we do that when there are mountains like we just saw in our way? There's a new song by Benjamin William Hastings in Blessing Offer, and it's called That's the Thing About Praise. There's a segment of the song that says, there's what I want and there's where I'm at. Every one step forward, it got me five steps back. And I cried, I called, God knows I prayed. But most days, faith is climbing up a mountain that stayed. I love the song. Heidi showed me the song. It was just a, it's a beautiful, beautiful song. I, you, should, you should listen to it if you haven't. And I listen to the song over and over, and I keep hearing this, this, this part. And it gets to the part where it says, but most, day, most days faith is climbing up a mountain that state. And for some reason, it just didn't click. I couldn't, you know, I, I don't know why. I got the rest of the song. It was awesome. Every time I heard it, 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 it put a smile on my face. It made me want to worship. It was awesome. But for some reason, that one line just, just, seemed, to, just seemed to miss for some reason. And then I'm mowing the lawn one day, listening to it on my headphones, and it just like hit me like a ton of bricks. We've all heard Matthew 17, 20, and 21, right? He says to them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Christians think it's a given that I have faith, so the mountain's going to move. 
I mean, it says it in the Bible, right? God says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can command the mountain to move and the mountain will move. So I, I wake up and I'm struggling and, and there's this huge mountain of anxiety in front of me. And, and, and I can't even see the top of it. It's so high. And, and, and even though I'm struggling, I know that I have faith at least the size of that mustard seed. And I'm commanding that thing, get out of the way. And it ain't moving. Um, nope, that's not what I said. I said, get out of the way. And it's not moving. Well, what happens when we pray and we say, oh, 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 this mountain needs to get out of the way. God, move this mountain of anxiety. And God says, I don't want to move the mountain. What I want you to do is I want you to take my hand and you and I are going to climb this mountain together and we're going to get over it the hard way. It's a reality. That's life. Is God never going to move a mountain? No, absolutely God's going to move mountains. The Bible doesn't lie. Does this mean that God doesn't have the... If I say that God wants us to go over the mountain instead of moving the mountain, that this, this verse is wrong? No, absolutely not. But I'm saying that if we think that every time we have a problem, we can wave a magic wand and just order it to disappear and it's going to be gone, sometimes God's saying, no, we're going to climb the mountain. The mountain is often fear and anxiety. And it's hard to climb. And it hurts. And it takes time. And what happens when we get over the mountain? We climb over the mountain. We see the top. We, we reach the peak. You see that beautiful world around us. We go, I reach the top and I get to the bottom. And when you get to the bottom of the mountain, you look up and there's two more mountains right there. Right? The church in Philippi were faced with an Everest of anxiety. Their world, their friends, their faith was shaking. Paul knew that their fear and anxiety was real, so he tells them, do not be anxious about anything. Anything. Okay, great. I'm cured, right? What, what, what's going on in your life that, that, that's, that's causing your problem? Is, is it uh, something good maybe? That can, I mean, there, there are good things that can cause anxiety, you know? Um, I had anxiety about the birthday parties this week. They were fun. They were a blast, but I was anxious. There's bad things that happen. There's money. There's family. There's work. There's sickness, right? There's lots of things that come in our lives that can cause these mountains to pop up out of nowhere. And no matter where the mountain is or how daunting it seems, Paul's saying, don't be anxious about it. Don't be anxious about anything. I don't care what's going on in your life. Don't be anxious about it. And I read this and, and things are just, you know, I'm wound a little tight this week and I'm going, <laughs> okay. Paul says, don't be anxious. And even though in my brain and my heart, I'm saying Paul's absolutely right. God's in control. I, that joy is more important. I need, to be I need to not be anxious about anything that's going on. There's still that little voice that's like, yeah, right. Good luck with that. Did you see the size of the mountain? You don't even have any gear, man. Uh, it's been a while for me, but do you, do you remember when you were growing up and there was a monster under your bed? Did anybody ever have a monster under your bed or maybe in your closet even, right? Um, and, and what happens? You wake up and there's a monster under your bed. You do what we all do. You call for mom or dad, right? You scream for mom and dad to the point where they come running in thinking that, you know, you know, some, some serial killer's staring at you or something. I don't know. They're freaking out, right? So they come running into your room and you say, there's a monster under my bed. Now, let's imagine for a second that you're freaked out, like, like really scared, right? There's this monster, you know that if you put your pudgy little ankle over the side of that bed, you're going under the bed and who knows where, right? I still think sometimes there's a reason you can't get under my bed at this point. I'm just saying. I even took the doors off my closet. I don't mess around. 
Heidi got tired of looking under the bed, quite frankly. No. So, so imagine with me for a second that you call your parents and you're freaked out and, and your parents come in, one of your parents, your mom, your dad comes in and what, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? There's a monster under my bed. And they look at you and they say, there's no monster. Go to sleep. And they turn around and they go back to bed. What goes on? What happens? Right? This is you the rest of the night. You're not going to sleep. Nuh-uh, no way, no how, not even close. Why? Because they might have said it, but he didn't hear it. He's still there. He's still waiting for you. You know, you ate that extra ding-dong for dinner, so your ankle's just a little extra pudgy, and it looks awfully good to him, right? Now, if your mom or dad comes in, and they say, what's wrong? And you say, there's a monster under my bed. And they get down on all fours, and they look under the bed, and they move, you know, they move the stuff around. And then they get up and they say, there's no monster under your bed. You're sleeping like a baby. Why? Because they reassured you. They let you know, hey, it's okay. I promise your ankles are safe now. Paul knows that he's right. Are your mom and dad right by saying, there's no monster under your bed, go to sleep? Yeah, they're right. But Paul knows by, by saying, don't be anxious about anything that he has to reassure them. He's told them the truth. He's given them the answer that they need to hear, but he needs to reassure them. So he says, but, by, uh, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You want to take care of things? There's a very specific math problem that will give you what you need. You need to go to God in prayer. You need to add in supplication and you add in thanksgiving and that equals the peace that you need. Not just He didn't just say, just pray about it, it'll be fine. No, no, no. He said, you go to God with prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. If you follow that one simple yet amazing thing, then all your problems go away and you never have anxiety again. Nope. The mountain of anxiety will just disappear? Nope. But if you go to God and you say, this is what I'm struggling with. And you go to God with supplication. You say, thank you for even listening to me. Paul says, God will give you peace. The mountain's still there. It's still daunting. It still looks so, so enormous that you're just thinking to yourself, I can't get over it. And God says, it's still going to be there, but we're going to get through it together. God's going to give you the peace that you need to conquer anything that's going on in your life. And not just peace. The Bible says that it's the peace that surpasses all all understanding, and it will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. So first, God's going to give us the peace that we need to get that sleep that we need, right? He's going to get on his hands and knees. He's going to look under the bed. He's going to say, son, daughter, there's no monster. You're good. So you can sleep. But then he's going to say, and on top of that, I'm going to stand at the door like this all night. And if that furry little thing comes out, I'll take care of it. So you go to sleep. That's the God we serve. That's the God that Paul is telling the Philippians about. That's the God that, 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 that Paul is saying, all this infighting, all this other stuff that's causing all these problems, all this fear that you're dealing with, all this anxiety that you're dealing with, it doesn't matter. You need true joy. You, you need to lift your hearts up. You need to see who you're worshiping. You need to see why we're here. And if you want to see that, this is how you're going to do it because God's going to give you peace. John 14, 27 says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Nor uh, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. God keeps saying, I don't want you to be afraid. I don't want you to be anxious. 
Sin causes the bad stuff. That's our fault. God didn't sit there and say, well, I created the world. That's great. I created the animals. Fantastic. Looks, looks wonderful. Let's create some humans. Woohoo! I, I got nothing to do on the seventh day. Let's create sin. He didn't do that. God didn't create sin. We created sin. And when we created sin, we created evil. We created all the things that are going to give us fear and anxiety. But He's going to be there to give us peace. He's going to be there to give us joy. After this, Paul, hoping that he fixed the problem, wants to make sure that Christians stay on the right track. So Paul uses the mind filter. I might have got help with that one too. I won't say who. Teresa Hudson. Um, but Paul uses the mind filter. Philippians 4, 8, 9 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence... If there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. The joy that you have in your daily life is a direct correlation of how you think. What's in here affects how you feel in here. I'm angry all the time. There's so much bad things going on. You're going to be angry. Did you watch the news? I'm freaking out. You're going to be scared. Oh, but, 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 you know, there's so many things, you know, and, and, and my, you know, my gerbil died and that's really sad. You're going to be sad. What's up here governs what's in here. Isaiah 26 verse three says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. If you keep your mind focused on God, no matter what is going on in your life, in our world, it can't drag you down. Paul tells the people of Philippi that there are six things that they should focus on. The first thing is whatever is true. Now, here, here's, this is interesting. I, I, when I'm writing this, I think whatever is true. Everybody seems to know the truth, right? I mean, it's, I, I, I'm not being sarcastic. It seems like everybody knows what the truth is. It's just that their version of the truth might not match up with their version of the truth. Everybody's got their own opinion, and their own opinion is the absolute 100% truth. On, what they don't understand is that we Christians know exactly what the truth is. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is the truth. You can think you have the truth all you want. You can think you're right all you want. I have zero doubt, zero doubt that this is the truth. If it's in those four corners, it's 100% true. There's no fudging. There's no give. There's no nothing. It's in black and white, sometimes red, completely 100% true. The second thing he says is whatever is honorable. Honorable here means dignified. It means noble. It means it's worthy of respect. Don't you want to think about things that are dignified? Don't you want to think about things that are worthy of your respect? I mean, oh, what's the downside to that? The third thing he says is whatever is just. Now, Christians need to be careful with this one. Just is not just what you think is just. Just is what God says is just. It's what the Bible says is just. Even Christians, I think this is the one that Christians might slip on the most, right? Because, because we study, we know, we're right on track, and then what happens? A lot of the times, uh, maybe we, we, we take a step in the wrong direction. Like, we mean the right thing, but, but we slip. I, it happens to me all the time, right? And then I have to go back and I have to correct it. It's important to correct it. The Bible 
cannot be changed. It can't be altered. You can't make it say what you want to. If what we think is just matches up with what the Bible says is just, then that's just. That's what we need to focus on. Then it says, whatever is pure. Pure is holy and morally clean. And if whatever you're thinking about is holy and morally clean, it deserves your, it deserves your focus. If it's not clean, if it's not moral, don't think about it. Get it out of there. It's not worthy of your brain space. Whatever is lovely. This is whatever is pleasing and acceptable before God. This is your happy place. Uh, for me, this is standing on the beach, staring out at the ocean, right? When, when I, 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 always, I, just, I feel close to God when I do that. I stand on the beach and I look out and all you see is what? You just see water, right? There's no end to it. It just seems like it goes forever and ever and ever. And it's powerful, and it's beautiful, and it's amazing, and, and, and everything about that, just, I feel closer to God. I can't help but say, thank you for creating this. Like, I'm amazed by how awesome and wonderful you are for creating this for me. Like, this is awesome, right? It's whatever is lovely. That will bring you closer to God. You should focus on that. And finally, whatever is commendable. This is whatever is worthy of your thought or conversation, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of your praise, think about these things. We, I, I, I personally, I blame reality television, but we like drama. I mean, my goodness gracious, look how popular the Kardashians are. Wow, right? But we like drama. I don't understand. I, and I, 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 you know, I mean, I'm no different. I'm more of a survivor guy than than a Kardashian guy. But hey, you know, to each their own. Right, but, but we like drama. And, and the Bible says if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So we, we focus on the drama and we focus on all these bad things that keep coming up, right? It's, it's, like a, it's like somebody puts blinders on and on these blinders, all that's showing is bad things. And that's what we focus on. Uh, we focus on, on things that, that we shouldn't watch on TV. We focus on um, conversations that, that, that just drag us down um, with, with other people. We, we focus on news cycles that tell us bad news after bad news after bad news after bad news. And when all we do is fill our minds with things that drag us down, we're doing the opposite of what Paul is saying. And when we do the opposite of what Paul is saying, we can't get that peace. When we can't get that peace, we get fear and anxiety instead, and that's what we sit on. Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the spring of life. You want peace? It's there. It's yours. God's not saying if you do X, Y, Z, you know, you have to be very specific. I'll give it to you. Get peace, but you don't get peace. You want peace. It's, it's, it's simple. You go to him with prayer. You go to him with supplication, with thanksgiving. God gives you peace. You focus on the things that you're supposed to focus on and God gives you peace, but it's not easy. It's hard. Those mountains are so big. They're so daunting. They, they just, I mean, have you ever sat like close to a mountain and looked up? What do you see? Mountain, right? I mean, you have to be like, look all the way over here just to see the other, you know, something other than mountain because that's all that takes your vision because they're so big. So Paul, Paul's right. This is all the things we have to do, but this doesn't come easy. I don't care if you're 10. I don't care if you're 20. I don't care if you're 21 like my wife. You have to focus on these things. And if you focus on these things, you get peace. Paul says that he gives us the last bit of hope at the end of the scripture. He says that you've learned these things, but you need to practice them in order to perfect them. I can sit here and tell you all day, you need to focus on these things, you need to focus on these things, don't focus on these things. But we have to practice them. I have to practice them. 
This was so tough for me to write this week because, uh, you know, there, there was just so much going on that my focus was on everything but God this week, it seemed like. And then I'd have to, okay, 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 let's, let's go back here. And I'd, get, and I'd get centered, right? And then, you know, I, I, you know, something shiny comes up and it's, ooh, pretty. And then it's, oh, no, no, focus, focus, focus. You have to practice on it. If you want that joy, if you want that honest joy that God gives you, if you want that peace that God promises you, you have to practice it. And once you practice it, just like if you practice anything else, if you practice it and you keep on practicing it and you focus on it pretty soon, that practice makes perfect, right? Not that you're ever going to be perfect. I'm not saying you are, but it becomes easier. Then you start focusing on something else and there's something in your brain that's like, you're not focusing on the right thing and you come back to center. That's what we need to do. That's what Paul's telling us. How big is your personal mount anxiety? This is at the top of the mountain, right? You get to see the beauty. Remember I said earlier, you get over that one mountain, God takes your hand, and you reach the top, and it's glorious. And then you get to the bottom, and two more mountains are sitting there. It's, like, it's, it's a never-ending cycle, right? And some of the mountains God's going to move. Some of them aren't going to move. What Paul's telling the Philippians is the same thing that works for us. If you want to change your outlook on life, you have to start with you. You have to make the choice that living in fear and anxiety isn't going to work for you. That that monster that's living under your bed isn't going to get you. That we serve a God that's standing in our doorway going, I got him, we're good. Your ankles are safe. It starts with prayer and it starts with the right attitude. And when you get to the top of the mountain, if you get to the top of that mountain, look around. What do you see? You see God. God's everywhere. And he's there to give you peace He's there to give you joy. He's there to give you everything you need to live the life that you need to live. Focus on God. Focus on the good. And once you're there, enjoy the peace that God wants you to have. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the chance to come and share your word. I thank you that you stand in my doorway at all times protecting me and giving me peace. Father, I thank you that even though I don't deserve you or, or what you give me, I, I thank you that you are gracious enough to say, this is what you need to live a good life. I pray that I, I practice this. I pray that I, I hear it. I pray that I learn it. And I pray that I, I do this on my daily basis, Father. I pray that you give everyone here the peace that they need. I pray that there are, if there are mountains in their way, Father, first I pray that you move the mountains. And if you don't move those mountains, Father, I pray that you give them enough strength to get over them. We thank you, Father. In your name I pray. Amen. I want to leave you today with John 16, 22. It says, So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Amen? Amen. Amen.